0: All right, folks, it's time for round two, where the dollar values will double and the prizes will go down in value. I am Neil Bailey, and this is my friend Julian Finn. Hello, Julian! Hello, Neil! And this is part two of our Justice League, our Zack Snyder's Justice League. um, Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's our... Our
1: deep dive and exploration of the cultural marvel that is this movie that should not exist and yet somehow does. And we're all kind of slightly better off for it, I think.
0: I think so. Yeah, it's our attempt to bury it three feet under the ground so that no one will ever find it again. And yet it will still emerge somehow and become part of our lives. Which
1: turns out to be kind of unnecessary because as we discover in this movie uh, Darkseid just kind of forgets where he parked his car until the <laughs> specific instance of a Kryptonian dying and letting out a death scream that's loud enough and long enough that it wakes the mother boxes up reminds him that hey
0: I'm in 3C. <laughs> yeah. I just I just realized too that he actually mentions other Kryptonians as a reason not to be afraid of the planet like like. He- he says something, I think, along the lines of, there are no Kryptonians and there are no lanterns. So it means that there have been other places where there have been Kryptonians, but that doesn't pull him there going, ah, it must be a mother box, but here I am again, Julian, looking for logic again. Okay, and we'll, okay. so
1: we're going to talk about that stuff. There's a lot of stuff here that doesn't make sense, like the plot. <laughs> um, and, and we're definitely going to get into all of that. I think... Our listeners have figured out that I am inclined to be slightly more uh, forgiving of this than you are, but there are things that stuck out like a sore thumb to me, like motivations don't really make sense, and the circumstances in which we find our heroes don't really make sense, and the idea that... These, that dark side would be scared of Kryptonians in a universe where the only reason to be scared of Kryptonians are if they're on a planet exactly like Earth. Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I didn't um, think of that. Because your your average Kryptonian just running around the universe, not on a planet that has a yellow sun that's going to give them those kind of powers, is just some dude.
0: <laughs> and you'd think he'd admire the Kryptonians, given that they seem to blow up moons, but what do I know? Yeah, so I mean, there's stuff here that doesn't make sense, but
1: in its own context, it certainly makes more sense than the theatrical release that we got, which didn't even though it's brevity made it somewhat more enjoyable in places (laughs) i think brevity would make a lot more enjoyable in both of the movies (laughs) although again so we talked about this in the introduction and i want to come back to it here i'm not gonna harp on the length of this thing aside from the fact that it could have been shortened by cutting out a bunch of the slow-mo effects um and the weird uh Steppenwolf is being dressed down by his bosses repeatedly on a Zoom call, moments that don't <laughs> really seem to be necessary. Um, but I don't think you can tell the story they wanted to tell in less time than they told it. And that doesn't mean that that's an appropriate length of time for a movie, because I don't believe that it is. But what it does probably mean is that they should have maybe told a different story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they should have told um, many different stories before this story, but... Uh,
1: I, I saw the, somebody's review of it. I think it might have been the Honest Trailer's review for it, honestly. Um, and one of the one of the throwaway lines from the review was, you can't defend the movie being this length
0: when you're the one who wrote the movie and decided to <laughs> tell
1: this story.
0: <laughs> well, yes, this is a thing that I've gotten a lot of flack about, you know, when I'm... Um, When, for instance, talking about Man of Steel, it's like, well, what other options did Superman have as if the writers had no impact whatsoever in the scenario that he shows up in? Um, And again,
1: I still don't believe that that's a bad choice. And I'm going to like, let's talk about that for a second really quickly, because it, it lends weight to who Superman is in these movies. So I think it's relevant. So in the very first show of the Arrowverse... Right, which is Arrow. They hadn't yet decided that they were going to do a comic book show. It was still the typical CW tropey. This is really a uh, teen melodrama that has superheroic elements in it, but we're not going to call him Green Arrow and we're not going to dance around the fact that he uses a bow and arrow as his primary weapon, he's going to kill some people. Yeah, and uh, he was killing
0: left and right. I saw the first season or two, and, and that was a very... They they touched upon it well, I thought.
1: Yeah, and they gradually, organically moved him from that to a actual superhero that has reason and motivation for not killing. Yeah, and that's a and, great Green Arrow story. Yeah, and... In Man of Steel, it's not as organic because, A, we're dealing with a movie, but there's absolutely no reason why that particular version of Clark Kent raised by that particular weird, borderline, deranged Jonathan Kent um, would not think to go to that place until he's done it once and realizes that he shouldn't go to that place. Like there's no moral codification of a heroes don't kill from that version of Jonathan Kent. And so it is
0: organic within its own context that he makes that choice. It is in the, in the realm of that movie, um, the choices that they make, it is entirely sensible since the whole movie is about how Superman causes or allows death, and how Superman should and could cause and allow death, he causes the destruction of I think the, the whatever they call it, not the birthing matrix, but the uh, the entire Kryptonian race that's left. He, yeah. he kills Zod. He lets oh the codex. Yeah, yeah, yes, the codex. yeah. Yes, he lets his. He lets his father die. It's about whether or not he should let the children in the school bus die, even when he's a kid. Um, it's about uh, letting the world die because he's scared, you know. It um, is it's, it's a hu- it is like the central theme of the thing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, I, I can't argue with the fact that they chose something and stuck with it.
1: Right, and that ties into this movie in that the things that From a bird's-eye view of the film, if you're looking at this thing like a Russian nesting doll, and you're external to what's happening inside this movie, none of it makes sense from a broader Superman, superhero, Justice League perspective. But in the context of this story that leads out of Batman v Superman that leads out of Man of Steel, with the exceptions of a few really egregious, not well thought out plot points, this movie makes this story makes sense as one that you would tell
0: at this point in that arc. Maybe. You know, there's there's a lot of different ways you could go with it, but it is it is consistent. I mean they're very consistent <laughs> the consi- they're just consistently making yeah, consistently making poor character choices. You know, like like the Batman from Batman v Superman is the same Batman in this movie. It's a dude who sees a problem and wants to shoot a gun at it and end it quickly. Um as sure. opposed to thinking his way through it and and finding what is right. It's like he 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 will solve the problem as fast as he can in the most violent way that he can, because that's the right thing to do. And they're both very consistent that way. I was thinking about that actually on my bike ride from hell this afternoon on my
1: way back to record this. Um, This version of Batman is in his own rearview mirror, not a person that should be allowed to make major choices because (laughs) no, no, but like. He has that monologue in Batman v. Superman <clears throat> where he says, you know, if there's even a 1% chance that this person is our enemy, we have to take him out at the first opportunity. That is the choice that he makes. That's the math that he does. And it's horribly, catastrophically wrong and actually
0: inadvertently leads to this invasion. Well, you so, were aware that it's a Dick Cheney quote, right? Like yes. essentially a, a slightly changed Dick Cheney quote.
1: Which again, I mean, it, in line with a version of Batman who when asked, you know, what's your superpower replies, I'm rich with that smug little snarky look.
0: Yeah, um, and it's played as an, ooh, wow, that's clever moment.
1: <laughs> which, okay, and 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 here's where I, I enjoyed that moment. It's an acknowledgement of reality. And it's also an acknowledgement of something that we don't really think about very often, which is there is no reason for a single human being to have, billions of dollars. Like, well, sure, that kind of also, wealth
0: accumulation is fundamentally a superpower. The other thing, though, is that Batman, his wealth, as much as his wealth aids his fight on crime, his wealth, if you understand the character, has absolutely nothing to do with why he does what he does or how he can do what he does. And if you took all his money away, and I've always wanted to tell a story about a poor Bruce Wayne. They did that! in you took Dark.
1: They did that in Dark Knight Rises, and he fell
0: apart. Well, yeah, but that's it's because he winds up
1: getting depressed and lands in the bottom of a hole in the middle of nowhere with a broken back.
0: Well, that's that's one of the reasons why I'm not so fond of the story. Because see, okay, so there's a Superman story that happened in like the '90s, like '96, '97, when Superman gets committed to a, like a mental asylum for something because he went nuts because of Brainiac, right? And so what he does, and there have been many stories like this, but this is just the one that always pops into my head. It's like he, he's landed there and Brainiac has somehow removed all of his powers, all of his abilities, and he still finds a way to be the hero of the insane asylum. And it's, it, it, you know, House does that later too rather well. But but the idea is that the, the person is absolutely sep- separate from the luck of their circumstances. Their character is what makes them who they are. And that that's something that, Zack Snyder and this universe will never understand. And that's, that's one of the problems I have with that. But
1: neither did Donner. Yeah, that's
0: true. That's true. Superman 2,
1: Superman 2 gives us that exact same scenario and fails at it. In fact, the only superhero movie I can recall seeing that plays with that trope
0: and does it well is Spider-Man 2. Well, you know, and also arguably, arguably with Donner, um, he, he gives up the, the powers to be with Lois, which is a poor character choice, because you can still be with Lois and have the powers. But at the same time, they also go to great lengths to show that he is still Superman, because they have that scene in the diner we've talked about, where it's like, this dude's picking on Lois, and he's like, you want to step outside? And he gets his butt kicked. He's still trying to be this, the, the protector of the innocent. Um, right, it's no just no, he realizes no, it helps when you're in But that,
1: that wasn't protection of the innocent. That was machismo. Right? <laughs> a, no, no, but it was. Uh, that's that's what that's how that scene read as a kid and
0: that's how that scene reads today. That was pure machismo. I have a different definition of machismo because I and we probably differ on this, but I think that there is a a period of time See, I'm a Nazi puncher. Um, I think that there comes a point when physical violence is not only justified it 's one of the appropriate responses to a bad situation um yes. like when you 've got a when you 've got a person that will not learn otherwise until they get a good pop in the nose um that when you engage in it, it can be machismo, but it isn't always machismo because if it 's something that I would do if I were say well so a good example is if you remove the genders at all or if you switch the genders if you saw that scene and it was two women and it was some dude hitting on Lois, or some dude hitting on lois and her one of her girlfriends comes up and it's like hey leave her alone or else what or i'll kick your butt you wouldn't say that's machismo you'd say that's someone standing up to a bully sure but i would dare you and we should do this
1: someday To take the anatomy of that scene and the anatomy of the scene in Man of Steel where Clark winds up out of a sense of vengeance going out and smushing those trucks together around a wooden pole and explain to me how those two people are not characterized exactly
0: the same way even if the outcomes are different. Uh I would say I can answer that one quickly. It's because he would have just popped he would have popped the dude in the nose and called it a day the minute the dude backed down. But the Superman and Man of Steel destroyed those, those, those uh, and they were buttheads, but he destroyed their except entire you, livelihood. Except
1: you can't make that argument because, as we've discussed before, with the exception of that stupid little add in scene in Superman 2, this is a version of Superman in Superman 2 who gleefully shoves a depowered Zod off a cliff and laughs about it. <laughs> like,
0: like I, I mean, I, I know there's also an look- issue of proportion. Like so there's also an issue of proportion. Hitting on a woman in a in 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 a offhand terrible nasty kind of way is, you know, a proportionate response is a punch in the nose. When you have broken the top of the White House and demanded that the entire world kneel before Zod and thrown Superman into a <laughs> <you> know, like <laughs> You know, like, when, when you you have literally tried to murder someone for a half an hour on screen, including half of the city of Metropolis, you know, kind of being a little gleeful when they fall into some fog, and then get, of course, I I must reiterate, then get taken off in handcuffs.
1: Yeah, but that <laughs> taken off in handcuffs scene is BS. Like, I pretend <laughs> that that doesn't even exist, because they clearly died. Um, But <laughs> my point is, like, you and I have given character motivation a hard punch in the crotch through Smallville through Superman returns through Man of Steel through Batman yes. v Superman and we look back at Donner um through I think rose tinted glasses because as much as Reeves encapsulates the character perfectly and for ninety-five percent of his screen time, behaves the same way that John Byrne's comic book version of Superman would behave. There's character motivation issues in those movies as well that we have a tendency to forgive because the rest of it is so good. And well, so another I... angle. Okay, oh, go ahead. No,
0: well, what I, was I was gonna I was... say is
1: as I come to Justice League and Snyder's Justice League, rather than Whedon's Justice League in particular, with an inclination to forgive because other than Superman and Lois so far, we haven't really gotten a good handling of Superman's characterizations in a universally recognizable way in any live medium.
0: Perhaps. Um, I think the difference... For me, like, and this is this is what immediately occurred to me when you were when you were like, perhaps the motivations in into are similar to um, similar to Man of Steel. So here's here's the larger ramification that I think um, makes me blanch a little bit more because if I concede your point, and I I I, oft, I love conceding a point in order to to um, to prove the other person's argument doesn't work. So I'll, I'll I'll play devil's advocate here. Assuming you're right. And Superman is just like the Superman and man of steel in the Donner cut, though. I don't necessarily agree that or agree with that. Uh, nonetheless in the comic books and in the general pop culture, it was just understood without question that Superman wouldn't kill, um, for the better part of, uh, I don't know. It came out in 77, 70. Well, I'd say 80 before the, for, for, for Donner. Um, it stayed that way for 10 20 33 more years and now um, with the uh, with the advent of uh, man of steel and this general um, this general attitude toward the heroes that they must be more that they must be more roguish and dark and uh, in the way that the 80s started flirting with but never really sold wholesale now you get situations where like i'm i'm surfing around the internet today And I see someone uh, post a picture of the Lois Lane miniseries and being like, isn't it great that they're giving Lois Lane characterization again? And several of the comments express confusion with the fact that Lois is alive because didn't Superman let her die on accident and isn't he a killer now? And there's just like this genuine, genuine muddiness with the injustice Superman world, or the Superman where 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 he's more lethal and brutal and dark, and it seems to be morphing. You know, and, and it's their character; they can do that with it if they want. But it's kind of fundamentally changing the way a lot of people looking look at Superman. Whereas the Donner cut, if anything, you know, you can make that argument that you've made, but it 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 keeps a more positive, more idealistic, more we're all in this together warden kind of feel in the end. And the, the, as opposed to the, you know, if I wanted you dead, you'd be dead already. Um, you know, like, okay. Except,
1: except one of the biggest events in, in recent comic book memory before new 52, before like everything that's, that's been born
0: out of that, was Infinite Crisis. And how did yes. Infinite Crisis start? Infinite Crisis started with the death of Max Lord. But see, that's one that's word.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, hear me out, though. Superboy Prime's
0: motivation for punching a hole through the universes was what? Oh, God um that the story wasn't right as i recall it's been a long time yeah part.
1: it was too dark the heroes weren't acting like heroes it was a criticism of the current state of comic books as it had existed by that point for the better part of a decade and a half it well, was a meta, it was a met <laughs> to be fair <laughs> to be fair was, it was so. Oh, so those who don't know—that's a reference to Letterkenny, which is a fantastic <laughs> show, and you need to watch it. And what I just did to Neil—he probably didn't even understand. Um, Ellie, my girlfriend, is deaf, and so I've been learning ASL. And our running gag since we both love Letterkenny is whenever somebody says "to be fair," the other person has to sign it. Um, <laughs> but but Infinite Crisis happened at a point where. The narrative and storytelling choices and character motivations were grimdark long before that had entered the movie sphere. And to me, what we're seeing in the Snyder Cut is just
0: reflective of what sold books in the 90s. See, I have a different read of Superboy Prime, because see, he's refuted at the end of Infinite Crisis. Um, part of the point is that he's wrong about things being dark and grim because the two Supermans come together to idealistically stop him. They don't kill him. Um, you know, they aren't murderers and the Supermen fight over principle. But in the end, he's revealed to be dead wrong. Like, it's oh, not no, I, ag- I agree like- with
1: you. I agree with you on that. I'm saying in this analogy, you're Superboy Prime.
0: <laughs> well see the thing is the difference between me and superboy prime is, is your right that i open no 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 i openly acknowledge that dc has every right to do whatever the hell they want with these characters and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them doing it this is just my yeah. opinion of it yeah they own I, it I'm, and and I'm, and, and I'm just you know saying, they can do whatever they want i'm just
1: saying there's there's plenty to gripe about with these three movies with man of steel Batman v Superman and both versions of Justice League and the my biggest gripe with Justice League is not your biggest gripe with Justice League your biggest gripe with Justice League is characterization my biggest gripe with Justice League is none of it makes a lick of sense when you strip below the surface level of oh man that's cool and I'm not even talking characters I'm talking
0: plot right it the biggest moment the biggest thing that i hate about justice league as opposed to the broad overarching characters or plot i think is in that first part um you know that 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 bit with wonder woman that's the moment that really just insults me personally uh, given my love for that character all right well let's um, let's
1: talk about that because i've got stuff to say about that too especially with wonder woman 84 the tongue-in-cheek reference back to Infinite Crisis by making Max Lord the villain and not having her kill him in that movie, even though at yeah. that stage in the game, Max Lord would be, like, just an eccentric billionaire funding the Justice League. Right. Um, and, and that's
0: also not Max Lord in that movie in any way, any more than, like, like the the, the flock of crows was, was Darkseid in Smallville. It's more like they wanted the recognition of the name. It's just not him.
1: No, and that's fair, but we just dealt with a movie that, in a tongue-in-cheek way, plays with our expectations of how that is going to play out, given what yeah. she's—I'm not going to spoil that movie, because we're not talking about that movie—but given what she's just lost it before that final confrontation with him, and given how that played out as a precursor to the events of Infinite Crisis— Um, That movie is in our rearview mirror when we sit down and watch this version of Justice League, which makes a choice, knowing that Wonder Woman 1984 has come out, knowing, you know, the context of all of that, to change this bank scene to one in which she finishes the job by murdering the bad guys by clap exploding them.
0: Well, it's the it's 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 very similar to the Man of Steel. It reminded me of the end of Man of Steel in a lot of ways because she has super speed. She's invulnerable to bullets. And there are whole parts of that scene that are dedicated to her instead of disarming the people, just catching all of the bullets to show how cool catching the bullets on the bracelet are. And then not disarming them, but grabbing them and throwing them into... Like, they didn't... The optics of this... Like, you have Wonder Woman grabbing people and throwing them into a wall so that their head hits it and then becomes like the grape smash of blood and viscera and brains you know in front of children you know and i get i get that it looks cool it's not that i don't get gore can be cool i love a good gore splashy violent movie and if you read any of my books i revel in descriptions of blood and violence it's just i wouldn't have tinky winky do it i wouldn't <laughs> make i wouldn't make thomas the tank engine glory in the 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 description of his wheels rolling over a bad guy and the crunch that his head makes when it pops like a coconut i get the visceral value of images like that I just don't think that it benefits Wonder Woman or the audience watching Wonder Woman and her idealistic views in, an, in in any way. And the worst part about it is not even the grape popped head on the wall or the murders or the explosions, um, because they are murders. When you have the ability to completely disarm people and you don't take them into custody and you kill them, it's murder. Um, as has been litigated in the courts lately. But to then do to do that scene, to make that creative decision, and then turn and try and pivot and also take that moment of every superhero is great with children and a role model for children, and have her go up to the little girl and have the little girl say, I want to be like you someday. Yeah. Popping people's heads like grapes. To me, that's. It's not that we need them to be schmaltzy and and um and and gee golly shucks and it's not that we can't have them be splatting people's heads on walls it's just you can't have your cake and eat it too like that it doesn't work tonally and it's like it's like saying you know I can do whatever I want and as long as you know it and recognize it it's okay damn whatever it means
1: so My reaction to that scene with the little girl was the same as yours, though for different reasons. I don't like a Wonder Woman who lies. And yeah, you can be whatever you want, but you can't be an Amazonian princess who's half God. Um, So unfortunately, small child, those particular superpowers are outside of your grasp without some heavy uh, surgery and modification, which given the events of Wonder Woman 1984, she probably would not recommend or advocate um i don't think they did it for the gore factor i think this is a and this is the reason why for those listening who wonder why i went on a tangent about a 15 year old or 10 year old comic book story this is why i brought that up i think that was done and i think the issue that you're grappling with here while i didn't particularly like the choice is more reflective of the fact that in a post nine 11 world in a world where we constantly are bombarded by footage of what the bad guys do to quote unquote, innocent people. um, And the injustice of all that we as a viewing audience have become more bloodthirsty in what we want to see have happen. Um, John Wick is a perfect example of that phenomenon in which we are emotionally prepared to justify a body count that puts the entirety of the Terminator franchise to shame in the first movie as vengeance for a dead dog.
0: Well, so so imagine One you have that dead scene in, in, in dog. In, right, but so so but they're all bad people in a bad world, and John Wick, you don't have a scene where you know, like he walks into his school and, and starts shooting the assassins that are trying to kill him, and then he turns to a kid and the kid's like, John Wick, Baba Yaga, I love you, and then he gives them the wink and the. No, but
1: up. he does murder a whole bunch of people in a church that is populated by people who are also not the bad guys. Right? Like
0: does he does he ever kill people who are not part of the organization's strategy? no, no to kill he doesn't
1: them? he doesn't kill the people in the church, but he murders a bunch of people in a church in full view of a bunch of people that are not bad guys. There are just regular old lady parishioners sitting in that church when he's up in the wings with his sniper rifle taking people
0: out so okay to, to, no, I'm, to just, I'm just I'm split a hair here yeah no I, I hear what you're saying, and you're right, but to split a hair. John Wick, if he doesn't kill those people, dies himself. Wonder Woman is under no threat sure. from these people. I'm just-
1: I'm just saying, like, the choice to have her kill isn't one that I necessarily agree with, but I don't react to it as viscerally as you, because our idea of what a hero is seems to have moved. And because it's moved, I think it's not necessarily a
0: completely tonally tone daft choice also and to clarify i don't have any problem with wonder woman killing in my head canon or and, and actually i think this can be backed up in in character but in i believe that wonder woman being an amazon being a warrior understands like captain america uh, captain america is 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 very similar i would think in his ethic when someone is threatening your life you can kill them i think yes. that it is exclusively the domain of batman and superman that even if they're trying to kill somebody I will take them into custody. Um, So I have no problem with Wonder Woman killing them. The problem is that they are absolutely no threat to her. It's like they are already handcuffed in terms of, like, her level of power versus their level of power. It's not fighting Doomsday. where she has stabbed Doomsday in the chest, it's in battle.
1: Like, to belabor a point, a depowered Zod, Non, and Ursa.
0: (laughs) You know what? I may have to just (laughs) bite the bullet and concede on this. I I could bite the bullet and concede on this. But uh, honestly, I still stand by the fact that it it's such that even if they even if Donner intended them for the di- to die, like any kid watched, like when I was a kid, I didn't think, oh, they're dead. As an adult, analytically, I go, oh, they might have been dead. But as a kid, you're watching that and you're like, they'll escape somehow because that's the way the comics used to be. Like Batman used to straight up kill the Joker every week in the old Batman comics. He'd throw him off a pier into the water and be like, well, Batman would shrug and be like, he must be dead. And you know that he didn't really think that he had killed him. But we live in a world now where there's another Batman movie coming out and the
1: most interesting choice that they've made from what I can tell from the trailer is that they've decided to turn the Riddler into Kevin Spacey's character from Seven and I have no issue with that. Like, as we long just,
0: as Michael Keaton shows up at some point.
1: Yeah, we just, yeah, exactly. We just, we don't, we don't live in that world anymore and you and I might lament that. And lament what it's done to storytelling. But I don't think on its own. That makes that scene necessarily problematic. And I think there's a cognizance of that. Because when you compare it to the theatrical cut. The baddies in that scene are much worse than they were in the theatrical cut. In the theatrical theatrical cut they're almost bumbling uh, Otis like bad guys from superman one and in this one they're more objectively like demonstrably evil these are people who if they are not put down like dogs will continue to murder people for no other reason than that they want to reduce western civilization back to what it was before the industrial era um and so i think there's an there's a a parallel to how we see the baddies in the real world and what we'd like to see happen to those baddies that Snyder is trying to tap into
0: it might just be me, because see, I would rather see them rot in prison for the rest of their lives than be splattered up against the wall no matter how they've done. But That's just kind of my essential nature toward the way of solving the problems of evil. I don't think that people learn a lesson from having their brains splattered or being killed, but also, to the point of, um, like, whether this is the story to tell or not, this might be surprising to you, but I actually don't have any problem with telling a story where Superman kills or Batman kills or Wonder Woman kills... The problem is that this story hasn't made the argument for it at all, and they just are so careless with it that it's clear that there's a disregard for whether or not they should. If they had thought about it and decided that it was a good thing, and executed it in a way that there's an A to a B to a C, then that's fine. I think that's ultimately my problem with Zod and Man of Steel, is not even necessarily so much the killing. um, Though that's, you know, a poor story choice. It's that there's there are so many ways to avoid it that they don't make it inevitable. It's not, if you don't stop me, and, and I know people are like, well, he would have heat visioned those people, and he's also already killed any number of people in the city, and if he went on for even another minute, it probably would have done more, but this is also a story where we only see what we're seeing and where the story logic has to follow, and it is a story where the world around it is constructed, so in this you you've got these guys, I don't argue that they deserve to die I mean they they do deserve to die for being terrorists that are willing to blow up a thing full of school children. That's not the issue it's that um it's framed in such a way that it could have been a moment to have Wonder Woman show mercy. And instead she straight up murders some folks, but neil um, Neil, we live in a world now, and these these movies take place in a
1: world where those guys get out of prison in a heartbeat because Wonder Woman would be making an extrajudicial arrest in a country that doesn't tolerate that
0: kind of thing, and she's violating their civil rights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, here's, here's my counter to that. We only live in that world as long as people make a justification for things like that by saying we already we, this is the world we live in. And in fact, having lived in a world where that wasn't the case, the, the, the pre-9-11 world, I know that that world is just not that far behind us. Right you know and, and it's also in our future if we want it that's the thing it's It's not like all of a sudden there's a switch flipped, and then now, forever more, it's us or them. um I think that that's a byproduct of the impact of the internet on our mentalities. I think that honestly we we can live in a world where you can react to gross acts of evil with mercy, compassion, kindness, and a proper punishment, you know, like life imprisonment. And um, they're not going to learn a lesson that way. And it's funny because I was just making the argument for the machismo punch in the nose. But I think that it's, it's like everything. It depends on context. It depends on balance. You know, like these guys could have done with a good punch in the nose because um, <laughs> and, and, they, they, were, they were powerless. But if they still had their, their weapons and there were eight of them and they were all aiming at the school children at the exact same time and Wonder Woman couldn't have saved any of them without clapping their heads through a wall, we're having a different discussion. Right, and I think
1: I again I don't think it was a good choice, but it didn't tear me away because I kind of understand the world that Snyder is reacting to. He's just making artistically
0: weird decisions with the heroes yeah. that he's employing against that, right? Yeah, he's reacting in the Dick Cheney way. The, if there's even 1% of someone being a bad person, we have to treat them as a bad person and execute them. Exactly, so. yeah.
1: Um, so there's some stuff in these first two parts that I really appreciated compared to the theatrical version. And the the biggest one for me is ha- the collection of the Justice League, the bringing together of the team, feels better than it did in the theatrical version. So the theatrical version is Batman basically acting irrationally to a dream that he's had, that an enemy is coming and they have to be ready for this enemy. And it doesn't really make any sense, except in the fact that he's had PTSD over watching Superman die and realizing that they're screwed if anything big does happen but there's no real basis for the decisions he makes in the theatrical cut other than I had a bad dream last night. So we got to go do this thing here. The fact that he wants to assemble the team as functionally a monument to Superman and just in case feels better and feels more like a thing that Batman would do. Like it feels very much like, Some of the conversations you see him having up on the parapets while Superman's funeral is happening in uh, Funeral for a Friend, like in the Death of Superman arc. Um, And it flows better for me. It gives him a motivation and Wonder Woman by proxy a motivation to help him round up these younger heroes to fill a void that Superman's death has now left.
0: I wish they'd leaned into that. Then I would have bought into it as an A to B to C. If they had been like, we have to do this to honor Superman. Superman's gone. I helped destroy this thing. He actually says that, though. He actually, like, obliquely says that thing, right? But they lean, they lean a lot more into the there's some some vague threat coming that we have to stop, and then they then the threat starts materializing after it's defined to be to be made correct by the plot's actions, you know?
1: Right, which is sloppy writing,
0: but I appreciated the correction, and I don't know if this
1: was an original vision thing or whether this is a Zack Snyder furiously reading comments on message boards about how the original movie didn't make any sense thing, um, which I like there's probably a whole lot of both throughout this 4 hour masterpiece um but i appreciated the attempt to have these characters behave in a way that makes sense rather than just having flash agree to join the justice league because i need friends We actually get to see how awkward and socially maladjusted he is because he actually gets a uh, a kind of preamble scene that has nothing to do with the rest of the plot to highlight those character traits. So we go, yeah, he needs some mentorship and guidance and a place to channel his abilities and his energy and his talents. Um, Cyborg's paranoia in the theatrical cut doesn't really make sense because there's 20 minutes of material that's cut out that explains why he's so hyper paranoid and you know how he's already got this mastery over his powers so that he can observe uh everything that's happening around him that he wants to like the the care in at least giving you a framework where you can believe that these character motivations come from somewhere rather than they act this way because I need them to because plot was appreciated by me.
0: I think uh, just talking about it and thinking about it, I'm appreciating the Flash stuff more now that I'm thinking about it. A lot of it is that I glossed over a little bit. I think of the Flash and Batman scene because I'd seen it already, and because it didn't feel any different to me. But I realized that um, that I actually care for the Flash in that scene. I'm sitting there like, okay, Bruce is why is Bruce here? This doesn't make sense. But yeah, I'm I'm sitting there empathizing with the Flash and his difficulties, and that makes a little bit more sense. I think that the it did feel as much as the scenes were incoherent to me in terms of motivation i think there is definitely a balance in the snyder cut that wasn't present in the okay now we're doing this character and now we're doing this character and that gives them an introduction that they didn't have in the previous film that works a little bit better at the same time i just like aquaman is the most face punchable dude in the history of movies So
1: aquaman bothers me here and i don't think it's the movie's fault and i i'm, I'm going to let you finish but then i'm going to make my case for that go
0: you go well i was just going to say like the it's it's like they they i think that the entire motivation for the way they wrote aquaman in this movie is they watched that 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 whole bit that that old comedy bit where they're like hey aquaman why don't you go talk to some fish and they're like we need to make him the most masculine an angry person that ever was. He can't have an ounce of earnestness, and he has to have his shirt off all the time, and he needs long hair. It's it's not that I I, I mind that they took the blonde haired Aryan Aquaman, you know, and turned him into a into a darker kind of long haired uh, biker dude, surfer that's, dude. That's yeah, a, that, surfer dude. There's there's no problem with that. It's just that it doesn't play. You know, it's like like he doesn't read as tough to me. He reads to me as like I don't know the kind of tough that you get in the performative WWE. He's like, oh, I'm gonna be the Aquaman today, Dark Side. I'm gonna meet you in the ring on Themyscira. We're gonna have us a couple of minutes of plate time. You know, that's what it reads yeah. like. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm gonna take you down for three mother boxes. Oh yeah. Thing. Have you seen the James Wan Aquaman movie? I have, yeah, and and, and I know that it, it's, <laughs> I have to concede that it's probably as warm and interesting as you remember, but I was kind of falling asleep through it, and I, it wasn't, you know, like, I was like, this is so long, and it's probably, I probably deserves a second watch, and I think that the, the test for that movie is that Milo dug it, and Milo is actually very... Milo's got my cynical eye, and he's like, this is fun! I like this! So it's probably a case of I was tired that day.
1: I I liked it as much as I liked Shazam, and I loved Shazam. Um, And my problem with Aquaman in this movie, like I said, is not this movie's fault. It's the fact that Aquaman the movie happened in the time since the theatrical kind of this movie came out. And so all of the bugs of Aquaman's introduction in Justice League as written and shot by Zack Snyder and rendered through the lens of Joss Whedon have already been worked out for me via that film. And now I'm back here with this beta version of the character <laughs> and it feels weird, right? And and that's that's more a function of this movie existing and being released after we've already had some of these conflicts resolved in sequels and standalone movies that have come out since 2017 um, and also highlights just how not great this original launch of that character was
0: i I remember too though that they kind of stick with some of the justice league elements of aquaman i remember being like like curling my lip a little bit um, you know, I, I get that he's Aquaman, he's not Superman, Batman, but, like, I remember in the opening scene, him just straight up murdering a couple of dudes, um, and I remember bits like, you know, the kind of dude bro, oh, do I pee on it kind of stuff, um, but I also remember that by the end of it, he had kind of transformed into a version of the hero that you might be able to applaud for, and that, and, and then going back from that to this, to the, you know, like, I'm gonna drink this entire bottle and smash it and <laughs> and then, and then yeah. flip my hair.
1: But again, yeah. that's not this movie's fault. This movie is telling a story with a character who hasn't gone through that arc yet.
0: Yes. Sure. And I right? guess I, I guess my and, curiosity and is why not? Why don't they just go with the other one?
1: Because we <laughs> and we've seen that arc, but this movie takes place before that, and so he can't already be like from a storytelling perspective, he can't already be at that place that he gets to at the end of his own movie. Because he's not there yet. That's the, that's a, a function of
0: this being a re-release of a movie oh, no, that I takes
1: g- place chronologically beforehand.
0: Yeah, I get that chronologically they had this movie out before that that one. But what I what I'm just like wondering why they didn't decide to go with the fully formed Aquaman and then tell how he became that way and start with Yeah, Aquaman, <laughs> you know, and then just have the regular old Aquaman <laughs> in the Justice League movie, <laughs> right? But I think. That the events of Justice League
1: inform the hero- like the initial quote-unquote heroism that he's trying to do at the beginning of his own film, right? Like you need yeah, the events of this and you need the mentorship and the being part of a team and the learning how to compromise part to get him to the crappy version of himself that he's at at the beginning of the Aquaman movie that he then transcends. Yeah,
0: it'd be like if they had. It'd be like if the first Avengers movie had Tony Stark being alcoholic in a cave, and had you know Captain America still frozen for by the end of the movie, and you know like if if Black Widow was a Russian agent, uh, and if In the Incredible yeah. Hulk was still out, still out breaking, busting up towns, and then like all of a sudden they just decided to get together to uh, to fight. Um, well, see the problem is they couldn't get together to fight Loki because Loki at least has has relation to the plot when it comes to Thor, yeah, side <laughs> just like appears
1: yeah so so, and that brings me back to a beef is is dark side cool? Yes, in the theatrical release, is he the off screen impetus for Steppenwolf being there, yes. Does him being in this movie add anything to this movie other than the Venom factor in Spider-Man 3?
0: There's there's one cool bit with Darkseid when he uses the omega beams briefly. I remember that and going, "Oh, that was that was interesting." But right. other than that, he doesn't necessarily have to be here, and it's all undercut by having Lawyer Cat do his dirty work for him. You know, he's like, yeah. like, like Steppenwolf. The he just like, and and more and more this week, I've been like referring to him as Lawyer Cat because he just looks like Lawyer Cat in this movie. He's got those big kitty eyes. You yeah, know? And he's like, he's like, I'm I'm ready to proceed, Dark Side. You know, like I'm not actually a cat. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: again, like I get why they did it, but. I okay, remember... help me figure that out. <laughs> so so that's why I reference Venom, right? So Spider-Man 3, the reason mm-hmm. Raimi kind of threw his hands up in disgust and walked off the set, from what I remember, it's been a long time, was he did not want to tell a, Ven- a Venom story. But Spider-Man 3 came out, or, or was announced at a very weird point in internet fandom's early years, where the studios were actually paying attention to what people wanted and fans were demanding Venom. (laughs) And so we got what we got in that movie. We went from Spider-Man 2, which to me is still probably the greatest um, individual character comic book movie of all time, to Spider-Man 3 where we got emo Peter Parker slapping Mary Jane and an Eddie Brock who's 110 pounds soaking wet and like Peter bursting into tears as Sandman turns to dust and fades into the wind. Spoilers for a 20 year old movie now. Um, <laughs> and Raimi didn't want to do it, but the studio told him to do it because the fans wanted him there. And I... I feel like and I think this is fair because we know that all of the dark side stuff was stuff that was added that was explicitly added that was not part of the original movie that Snyder was shooting before he walked away. Um I think that was capitulation to the fans and it feels like capitulation to the fans and it's cool in the same way that Venom was cool in Spider-Man 3 but is ultimately pointless. It's basically yeah. it's I feel about Dark Side in this movie the way I feel about uh what was the Tron sequel called? Tron Legacy. Yeah, Tron Legacy. I I, I feel about Dark Side in this movie the way I feel about Tron Legacy existing.
0: Well, it was it was kind of a bummer like like I can I mean, I'm perfectly fine with seeing Thanos uh, 10 movies before he appears, but this was not that. This movie made the argument that Darkseid is coming. It was a Chekhov's gun. And they didn't have him just step out of the portal at the end, though he absolutely could have, and there's no reason for him not to. Um, They just show him there, and, and it's, again, it's like the Martian Manhunter. It's because they wanted to show Darkseid, um, yeah. not because it made story sense. So Now, yeah, that said... I, I
1: mean, it- The Age of Heroes stuff that we got, like in Chapter 2, where we got all of that additional material in the flashbacks that was very Lord of the Rings and gave us, you know... (laughs) more direct rather than side-eye glimpses of a Green Lantern Corps member fighting alongside the
0: old gods of Earth, etc., etc. He literally had a ring on, Julian. That's how much of a Lord of the Rings ripoff it is. I know, I know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that was missing was his ring, as he died, falling into a
0: fiery mountain. Um, yeah well it did it did land on the ground and then fly off away from dark side yeah, as he's yeah. trying to grab it it's like uh, you know it's so on the nose it's like the, but, the tolkien a station too. no but it was it was good i loved it i
1: enjoyed it i don't have any quibbles with it except it does what every cool thing in this movie just about with the exception of like the flash intro scene does, which is by doing something cool, it makes the plot make less sense because yeah. And I've alluded to this whole dark side, forgot where he parked his car thing. You are a space faring alien God bent on finding a thing, a MacGuffin that will allow you to enslave all life in the universe you forget your magic boxes on the only planet that kicks your ass, you're not going to mark an X on your map? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well it's it, and are you sitting yeah, there like, like anyone who, who anyone who loves a comic or who is you know not anyone who loves that's gatekeeping but anyone who's read a lot of new god stuff or modern new gods and dark side stuff is sitting there going like aren't mother boxes supposed to open up transdimensional doom boom tubes that can just you know like like let them walk here you know like yeah, walk through the like, tube and appear it
1: was just weird and it was such an obvious dumb like you like i i am all for willing suspension of disbelief i will bend myself into a pretzel to justify things that don't make sense if i enjoyed the heck out of a movie or a tv show i i am that guy i will give just about anything a pass if it made me smile but this felt like the most avoidable thing like Show Darkseid having to boom tube away because his ship gets destroyed. And then you've got a plausible reason for why he doesn't remember where
0: this planet is. <laughs> I, it's, um... Like, you spent an well,
1: ungodly amount of money on the SFX. You couldn't have done one portal to solve
0: that problem? Sure. Or you could just, you know, I don't know, have some kind of situation where they're fighting of, over it on another planet... Um, and then, you know, they take a boom tube created by the mother box to some location unknown because Darkseid and all of his minions are unconscious or defeated, but that, you know, and that's two seconds of thought. There's 18 million ways to do this that don't spend what had to have been 10 to 20 million dollars on a scene, (laughs) Um, without thinking it through first in the way that a five year old could point out. And my issue here the
1: reason that I'm harping on it as much as I loved that whole scene is the greater context in which this movie appears because Snyder's defense of his version of these characters and this story being as dark as they are and as gritty as they are and not your dad Superman is that this is a comic book movie made for a adults (laughs) adults <laughs> no but like he has uh, said that he's like this is not meant for your 10 year old this is meant for you the middle-aged person so, or the 20 year old person who is capable of thinking through things and likes more nuance <laughs> and, and moral complexity etc et no but like that's not julian his, you're killing me that's that's been his defense and then Oh. He writes this thing into the plot that is so incredibly stupid, it might as well be intentionally calling the entire audience idiots.
0: Well, you you have begged you haven't begged the question. You have um you have uh bruh. you have you've have brought something to the fray that I've been meaning to bring up, which is is there any reasonable reason outside of saying the f-word a couple of times? or that grape-smashed head on the wall, that this film benefits in any way from the R? I mean, again, he wants to do a big
1: violent epic, right? So the whole idea behind this movie, I'm going to do a metaphor that's hyper nerdy and hyper relevant to my field. I work in IT, okay? So Apple releases the iPad. And everybody loves it, even though it doesn't do a whole lot. It's just a giant iPhone. Tech pundits say it's going—it's the biggest blunder Apple's ever made. It's going to vanish within two years, and everybody will be laughing about it. It's going to be the Newton all over again. You fast forward six years, and the result of the iPad coming out is Microsoft changes their entire operating system UI to be touch interface first, and is desperately trying to make Windows tablets happen to get out ahead of what was even then apparent was Apple's plan which was to merge the mobile OS and the desktop OS into one thing
0: so that you don't have to have a PC anymore right So they, you think it's as cynical as as like saying Deadpool succeeded so we got to make this R
1: Deadpool succeeded we got to make this R and Marvel just released its twentieth movie, and it was this big operatic masterpiece that everybody loved. So we can't take this. We can't take the organic, build it up slow approach. We have to jump to the finish line and make our own iPad.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that. I, I mean, I disagree with it. I, I agree with what you're saying. I disagree with the, their logic. Um, but yeah, I like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, like what really was R in here? The two Fs, I think it was two, two F words. I want to say the F word and I I would say the F word in any other circumstance, but it's, you know, we try and keep this PG 13, uh, the, the grape head against the wall, but like, are there any other really violent things? There's the death of Steppenwolf, I suppose. Well,
1: and I mean, the R is meaningless when you're releasing it this way. Yeah, it well, like the, That too. The, the R is the R is a mark, is a cynical marketing thing
0: because yeah, it's to keep kids out of the theater and there's no theatrical release because the, because the theater would be like, hey man, we'd have we'd need to put it, two of two copies of it on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like <It's>... there's. <laughs> It's like, it's, you know, funny, it's funny you mentioned it It could say shot on iPad on this thing, except for it would be like the bad version that you do when you're shooting a fight for world star on the internet when you hold your phone sideways the wrong way.
1: Yeah, I like, I, not from an artistic perspective, not from the actor's interest in seeing this get made, because I talked about this in the last podcast, I think the desire to see the best possible version of your work is valid and from the actor's perspective and the story that gets told this is a much more complementary version of the same story from their perspective from the perspective of everybody involved in a technical perspective on this movie this is a much more rewarding iteration of it like i'm not assigning cynicism to any of those but from the from snyder's perspective and from
0: the uh Studio's perspective. This whoa is... whoa 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 Julian Julian hang on I gotta interrupt you. Why? Well, because we just had a technical audio break, and this is my easy way to segue back into what you were saying. So you were saying?
1: Oh, you know, Neil, I'm old, and I live at a much higher altitude than you do, and when you do stuff like that, I get very easily confused. But <laughs> what I was gonna say is, is I don't. I don't view this as as cynical from the perspective of any of the cast and crew. Um, I don't think they were looking for a money grab. Frankly, I don't even know if they get paid anymore for having done this other than the reshoots and the extra digital work and all that jazz. Um, But from Snyder's perspective and from the studio's perspective, this is a cynical money grab. Like, through and through, top to bottom. Snyder can say what he wants about this being a restoration of his vision. Uh, We've talked about how that's not really possible. Like, this is Schrodinger's movie, basically. Um, But really, this is a naked... People aren't going to see movies right now because of COVID. And Snyder's brand is entirely built up around um, the idea of who Zack Snyder is and Zack Snyder being controversial and Zack Snyder being famous and people knowing his name and the studio doesn't have anything going on. There's no Harry Potter movie coming out. Fantastic Beast is tainted by the fact that no one can quite understand how to get behind the idea that Johnny Depp might not be an abuser. Um, And so this is, you know, any press is good press kind of nonsense and fan appeasement and that irritates me even though it produced in my opinion a better film
0: there are also elements where you could say that uh essentially it was the perfect covid film because they uh They took a risk that might give them subscribers, but it allowed them to release it. So, so, you know, these subscription services rely on people just forgetting that they have them and them going month after month after month and getting the fees. So the subscriber is gold, is my understanding of things. So think about, you get a bunch of dude bros who are like, yeah, man, Snyder Cut, and they sign up, and then they forget about it. They won't make, you know, like the numbers are already saying that they won't make the money back Um that they put into it, but they might over time in terms of like the sheer number of raw subscribers, but at very least it can also keep the people who are interested in the occasional drop. Like I am, like I watched Wonder Woman 1984 um, yeah. when it dropped on HBO and that helped keep my uh, wonder woman or keep my HBO subscription, you know, in lieu of John Oliver when he took his break. <laughs> um, and <laughs> uh, you know, that's it. like, we're here. We are talking and looking at the Snyder cut and giving them, uh, giving them potentially subscribers. So, you know, as a business decision, it's it seems like a, it's, a, uh, it's a gamble. Uh, but they already went into it saying things like, this is the trilogy, and it is now finished. And it's also like Justice League. It's like you set up Justice League with Batman v. Superman. You can't easily back out of that. It's just but a they situation. Didn't. They yeah. didn't
1: back out of it. We got Justice League.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you couldn't back out of that. You're in a situation where it's like you kind of have to make Justice League at that point, and then you can throw up your arms and start up again. And, like, when you're in the middle of COVID, you can't make whatever's next. You can, however, go back and redo the Justice League, release it, get people excited about DC things again, and also wash your hands of Zack Snyder. But you
1: know what? What's the point of, like... So we talked about this. We talked about them rushing to the end, like doing the Microsoft Surface Pro versus the iPad. We're going to release Windows 8, and it's going to be a mobile-first OS, even though nobody has touch devices. And yeah, because we will beat Apple. That right. that was kind of the, the, the Warner Brothers DC thinking when looking at the Marvel behemoth. Um, but man, like, if it was all going to just fizzle out like this... What? what was the point in not giving us the Aquaman movie we got and One Woman 84 and a second Superman movie and a better Superman v. Batman movie and then Justice League when we actually gave a crap about these characters well
0: it's a very american attitude honestly it's like we approach most of our politics it's a thing you know not to get political but this is this is kind of apolitical as a statement too people don't understand opportunity cost people don't understand the way that story um like every every new writer that i talk to wants to know how they can launch their franchise right and I try to explain to them that you have to tell a very good story, and then if that story is very successful, then you start the launch of a franchise. But people want to have things now, particularly in America, and I think that's a pretty Hollywood mentality. It's like, I want the next movie now! And so, you know, we'll, we'll tarmac our roads instead of concrete our roads. And um, we'll we'll get, you know, we'll have to replace them every five years in the same way that we're replacing our Batman every five, ten years and our <laughs> Superman every ten years. Instead of doing like what Marvel is, they don't have to replace their Captain America. They have a Captain America ready and waiting because they made the foundation of story. They have to, you know, like they people don't realize that uh, especially. Well, and it's you can see the difference between the two studios. I am a DC guy. I've always been a DC guy. But Marvel is kicking DC sideways because what Marvel is doing is they're going, No, I don't care if I have to wait two years to release the Black Widow movie. It will be done right. It will be done well. It will come out and people will like it. Even if it doesn't make money, it's going to be part of the bricks in this wall that we have that lets us put out Endgame and make half a billion dollars or a billion dollars I, or I, whatever it may. Whoa,
1: made. whoa, whoa. Okay, so I'm going to push back on that. The okay. reason they're taking time with Black Widow is not out of any sense of artistic integrity Uh it's because after 20 movies and only what one of them featuring a headlining female hero yes and black widow being the first major headlining hero in this entire franchise Mm -hmm. if they don't release the perfect action-adventure Black Widow movie, FI- He's getting lynched. <laughs> well, it could be that. This, this I, I think there's an element of COVID bad- in there. This isn't about artistic integrity. This is about preservation of self.
0: Well, yes, and let me clarify. I basically mean like they weren't like we're gonna rush this out because of COVID and make it so that nobody sees it, or we're not gonna we're not gonna do this in the. R-. It'd be the same as if it was Shang Chi, you know, like if they were like, yeah, we have Shang Chi ready, but we're not releasing it until after COVID, so that everybody who wants to can see it, and that's gonna delay our plans. But it's but but also. Arguably, they're taking a long, long break in terms of the public's attention span between um, Endgame and whatever comes next. You know, the Doctor right. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and they just—they're not even sitting there like, "Yeah, you know, we're gonna lose everything," because they—they they know that they have this foundation to build on. It's and like, they're not uh,
1: and they're not scared of their. I mean, okay, they are and they aren't. So there's a huge disconnect between. DC film and DC TV. Yes. Say what you will about the cheesiness of the Arrowverse, but if you held up most of the Arrowverse to most of what had happened in Marvel TV prior to the Netflix series, the Netflix series were kind of an aberration. And what's interesting is, is that the Disney Plus Marvel TV series kind of feel more like what Netflix was doing with the street level characters, just with their movie franchise characters. Um, very, very quality. I'm enjoying it. But prior to that, the Marvel movies and Marvel TV, and I'm thinking of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here in particular, were or anything X-Men universe related, were terrified of the movies interacting with the tv universes in any significant way
0: yeah right? and they did that for all the daredevil stuff too and that there there was a good reason for that what do you think the reason for that was well the reason is everyone wasn't locked into netflix but now everyone is locked into disney plus thanks to the mandalorian they announced it after the mandalorian was a clear success and they right. realize, yes, we can direct a national narrative here. And they go, so this is the appropriate venue to tell this story. They could have easily right. cashed in four years later, and DC or four years earlier, and DC would have by doing, you know, like a, a a Falcon and Winter Soldier show. But they didn't. They waited until they were they they were able to say to themselves, yes, we can announce the the new version of this character here, um, and everyone will be paying attention because this is clearly. It has enough broad appeal that everyone will yeah. understand and see it.
1: But that direct connection is important because it makes the TV stuff not feel second tier. Yes. And Warner Brothers hates its TV division.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Warner Brothers, I would say I get the impression they hate their comics division. I right. think well, that they that, want I mean, to that make money from- off of it.
1: That comes from AT&T. What was the announcement the other day? And uh, for those of you who are wondering how we can possibly know this, when we were recording this like a week ago, there may have been a break in the recording. Um, there was an announcement the other day that AT&T is looking at selling off DC Comics. Yeah, that's
0: that, that doesn't surprise me. I I, right? I mean, I, I'm surprised it hasn't been sold already.
1: Right. And so... I kind of feel like Warner Brothers and its parent corporations has been sitting on this treasure trove of characters, and with the exception of Batman, they haven't ever really understood why people like these characters, they don't like these properties, they don't understand why they keep making money, they keep fiddling with them, trying to make them quote-unquote more interesting, which draws traditionally the wrong kind of criticism. And I'm thinking here of John Peters' take on Superman that Kevin Smith <laughs> articulated. Um but then Zack Snyder comes along and basically gives them what they want, which is a different take on this stuff. And they seem content to just kind of ride that for a bit. And I'm conf- yeah. I, I'm just confused by the the thought process. And again, this Whoa. isn't me crafting on the Snyder cut. Like, I've said repeatedly over and over and over again, this is a better movie than the theatrical release with a couple of exceptions. I just don't get why it exists.
0: Well, it's, it's really simple. It's because they don't realize... So, you look at almost every successful Marvel movie following the origin movies, because the origin movies have to follow a typical format, but almost every one with the exception of the Iron Man series, as I'm thinking about it, follows the format of a popular, uh, well-regarded, but not necessarily money-making, hugely money-making comic book series. There was that whole thing about Brubaker and the Winter Soldier that was out a couple of weeks ago where, you know, he gets more for his for his film cameo than yeah. for the actual Winter Soldier thing. So, you know, they've built this entire universe based on the best of stories, that people make in comics, and it resonates because they the people who read comics get it. The people who like movies see a solid story. And with DC, it's just like, yeah, man, these characters aren't really that cool, so let's just kind of um, tell stories in this universe that are cool. Um, like there's, But see, the other thing is that's not even a fair criticism, too, because there is elements of a whole bunch of storylines, but what they do is they don't do the superman flash race in context they show you that scene and expect you to applaud for it they show they don't show you you know like they don't introduce dark side and the peril of the anti-life equation and his omega beams in a way that makes coherent sense they just show those disparate elements at random times and expect you to applaud unlike like there's no foundation Martian
1: martian manhunter like they're they're making easter eggs the point
0: Yes, and it's 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 that part of that Instagram movie thing we were talking about. Like it's an Instagram yeah. movie. It's like, oh yeah, look at that, that's sexy. You know? And you're like, Oh yeah, that's cool and, and it grabs your attention for a minute. And if you have the attention span of a gnat, you're like, Whoa, whoa, oh, wow, ooh, wow, ooh, wow. And if you're just like someone who scrolls through a movie, you're probably having a great time. Like if you watch it at one and a half speed and you don't listen to any of the dialogue, I'm sure this is very visually entertaining.
1: Oh, so the way that I watch Spider Man three to this day.
0: <laughs> i don't ever you know like there is almost nothing that i will watch at one and a half speed like my wife she listens to podcasts at one and a half to two times speed and it makes me want to just go over there you know I'm, I'm not not you know like pro-violence against women but like this is just anybody who is doing this and just smack the headphones off of her head and go what are you thinking you have you have violated the sacred rule of of, of regarding something um well, well do but.
1: Judge me too harshly, but I listened to volume one of Barack Obama's memoirs at one and a half speed. Okay, only, all right. Only because, like, the man talks so incredibly precisely and slowly, and well, I ain't got time for that.
0: And also, I'll forgive you that one, because I read that book, and it took me two months, and I average a book a week. Um, yeah. So, you know, that was a long, long book. A good read, too, by the way. Um, it, it I, really, I would would definitely wants. I would read it twice rather than watch the Spider- Snyder Cut again, but... Like, that's so. that's not a
1: book I would listen to at one time speed while running, because I would literally not get anywhere.
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, that's that's got the Marvel movie thing going for it because you sit there, like, uh, you wait for almost an entire 30,000-word chapter for him to drop an S-bomb or say something frank, and then he finally does, and you're like, ah, and then you need a cigarette or something, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, that's so, getting a bit so far getting- afield.
1: Yeah, getting back to these first two chapters, um, my kind of analysis of them was what they added plot-wise, and what they added, especially with regards to the setup for Flash, the setup for Cyborg, the longer explanation of Diana's interest in um, sort of the origins of and Wolf and Darkseid's first uh, like original attack on Earth and the showing of that attack. All of that to me was great and necessary and didn't belong on the cutting room floor. I think they could have I think what should have happened with this project and i'm looking at this through the lens of just these first two chapters and how much was added just to lay the groundwork for the rest of the movie this should have been two movies and it should have been two better written better structured movies
0: see i'm i'm um, maybe even uh, three i'm i'm not with you on that one i think that virtually everything that was in the first two parts of this movie um with the exception of the introduction of the flash is uh and even the introduction of the flash was belabored um i think none of it is necessary to understand what's happening and i think it could all have been cut
1: it, uh, it's not necessary to understand what's happening but it's necessary to <sighs> In order for this plot, and this goes back to the argument of if you need four hours to tell a story, you're telling the wrong story.
0: You're telling a TV show. When it
1: comes to movies. Yeah. But in order to make this plot make anywhere approaching something that makes sense, and it Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense, even after all this heavy lifting, you still have these giant like world engine-sized plot holes that, if you think about them for more than one second, you go cross-eyed and start blithering like an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, but to even get it to that point, you had to have that stuff in it, which is why the theatrical cut felt so flat.
0: Well, you don't, you don't like have the theatrical- to have this stuck. See, that's the thing. Like, just from a storytelling perspective, the movie doesn't start really until the the so you you have two essential scenes in the entire first hour and a half that i can think of steppenwolf coming for the mother box that's you know declaring your end no but why does steppenwolf
1: come from the no no but why does steppenwolf come for the mother box
0: that's well see if you were a good storyteller like if Zack snyder were a good story storyteller you don't actually have to explain that in fact that's what you want the audience to be wondering you declare that mystery, and then you tease it out over the course of the film. Um,
1: sure, but how
0: do you get Darkseid in here if you don't have an earlier... Like, <laughs> you don't! You, you don't! <laughs> or you make Darkseid the villain to begin with. He's coming for the Mother Box. No, Why not? But
1: they, but they had to have Darkseid, because the thing that fans were the most... Like, that, that's the problem with this, is the story was driven by fan demand. Right, like this was that Spider Man problem. Three Venom as yeah. at, at, this was Spider Man Three Venom as a movie.
0: It it would be if they made the first Avengers movie, the Avengers fighting Thanos. It would have it, it would have been a movie that you could be like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's definitely Thanos on screen, and wow, it's the Avengers fighting Thanos. But you wouldn't have won the. This is our team that we built. Our team has come apart. Our team has come back together again. Our team is defined. Yeah. We understand all of these characters. Instead, you've got like. <laughs> you have essentially the first episode or the first session of the D game it's like oh you seem trustworthy come with us look it's a villain <laughs> you know like and yeah and, except for with less verisimilitude
1: <laughs> i just so like okay so so looking at everything that they had to cram in because because in order to get dark side into this movie which was the goal you have to do all that stuff. You don't have to do the heavy lifting Flash stuff or the heavy lifting Cyborg stuff. But if you want Darkseid to be your villain, you have to have a reason for him to be here. You have to have a reason for Wolf to be here. You have to have that MacGuffin that exists on Earth that draws their attention. And you have to explain why all of a sudden that MacGuffin becomes active.
0: So if I can you do that in do 30 Darkseid. seconds. You ready for me to do that in 30 wait, seconds? Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Wait, wait,
1: hear me out, hear me out. So right. you've gotta get if you if you wanna do Darkseid as your villain, all of that stuff that they did is seemingly necessary. And I will grant that you were about to prove me wrong, and that's fine. But in the context <laughs> of the story that they decided they wanted to tell this giant Tolkien esque space opera, that that was necessary. My question is is why why? why do they feel the need to jump to the thanos level villain in one move like you've you've laid all you've laid all this groundwork in man of steel and batman v superman where you're really like you turned zod into doomsday which is i don't i don't even know what to make of that creative choice (laughs) but you did that you are heavily all in on kryptonian lore at this point in the two movies Why pivot? Why not just do Brainiac and use it as a backdoor to get Supergirl into your first Justice League
0: movie? (laughs) Well, Snyder knew the writing was on the wall. I think is why he would have made that choice. But also, Chris, (laughs) but it might not have been on the wall.
1: But it might not have been on the wall if they'd written a compelling Brainiac movie and introduced Supergirl and kicked off that franchise. uh,
0: Writing a compelling movie is clearly beyond them. But but to 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 the (laughs) you know stepping back, the way that you. In this movie, if you want to tell this story, the dark side story, you do the Thanos grabbing his glove scene. Fine, I'll do it myself. You know, like you, you, you. He he sees. Oh, Mother Box on Earth, I'm coming. That establishes all the tension you need.
1: But they don't even do the final do it myself. They do like 17 zoom meetings with the manager yes. before he decides he's going to do it himself. Like, well, yeah, it's one I of the just, reasons it's so I, poor. Yeah, I just like the stuff that's there is better and the stuff that's there is is you can tell that thought and craft went into making it a more whole story and i appreciate that even if the thought and craft weren't particularly <laughs> excellent no but like there there is effort all over this thing that is absent from batman v superman or the theatrical release of justice league
0: yes and that's you know that's um the, the reason i tittered was not disagreeing with your point so much as it reminded me of a subreddit that i visit on occasion uh and oh my god you know saying those words out loud but i i, I mean every once in a while i'll see this thing and i think it's a A-T-G-B-N-E, which is like all of the, all of the craft, but none of the execution. I'm butchering it. You know, like I can't even remember the acronym. Uh, And it's, it's like, thanks, I hate it. You know, it's like something that is beautiful, but you hate it. Um, And they'll have things like mugs made out of human teeth that are so beautifully rendered, you know, that you're like, man, this person is a genuine artist, but it's a mug made of human teeth you know so that's yeah, that's yeah. kind of how i feel i'm like wow this is really really beautifully done wonderful special effects you good sound design you know like the the, the it, it, i can't say the photography is my favorite thing because of the ipad perspective but or not yeah. the ipad the iphone perspective but it's the same feeling it's like it's like uh you wonder <laughs> it, it'd be <laughs> god i can't say it that way Um, it'd be like if the Sistine (laughs) Chapel was just like, um, two people engaging in some form of, uh, sexual Congress that was, uh, was, um, negative, negative, negative in its origin. There you go. That's (laughs) as, that is as vague and sesquipedalian as I can get about that kind of thing. Um, but (laughs) you know, it's like, um, it's like you have this potential and yet you don't, like everyone forgets the writer. (laughs) you know and and i say this as a writer but the writer and or at least the vision of the director with the power of the writer's staging is so essential for anything to work correctly no matter how beautiful it is
1: i i will yeah no and that's fair i will say this and then i think we should move to um chapters three and four for next week yes um i'll say this I got to the end of chapter two and I looked at my watch and I was like, it it was like my, uh, my 10 K run this morning. I got to about seven or eight K and I was like, yeah, okay. I got this. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, I can do this. Four hours is not of, this is not going to be onerous. It wasn't, it wasn't by, by that point in the story, they'd given me enough new stuff that was good. That made me, view the original story that they had told in the theatrical cut in a positive enough light
0: that i was on board to watch it till the end not just because i knew that we were going to want to do this mm. the chapter breaks for me served as a, a point where my son could be to reiterate his litany and he'll have his time to talk about it but yeah yeah he began to um the, the chapter breaks were an excuse for him to go can we please stop i don't want to do this anymore um <laughs> And I had to sit there and, 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 and it's weird. Like, like if you had told me, Neil, one day you're going to be a father and you're going to end up punishing your son by making him watch a Superman movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like, like I would, uh, you know, like, no, like you're going no, to no, force that's... him to do it.
1: But that's yeah. not fair because even when you were having it, it, this hypothetical conversation, even if it had taken place 20 years ago, the yeah. Superman movie you could have punished Milo with would have been Superman 4, The Quest
0: for Peace. <laughs> yeah, and even that would, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, very clearly, I would actually, if you had told me that I had, okay, I could watch Superman 4 five times, which is probably the length that would take to make up the Snyder Cut time. Or the okay. Snyder Cut, I would watch Superman 4 or 5 times, easily. Would you really? This is, yeah, there's elements of Superman 4 that I adore, <laughs> you know? Can like, there's... Fair? There is genuinely, there are genuine moments of Superman 4 where I'm like, that's amazing. I just, I love that. You know, as, I, I as, as stupid as Great Wall Rebuilding Vision is, there's a bit where it's like, <laughs> first, I play. You know what it's, it's so bad, it's good.
1: And I mean, at least Nuclear Man's origin makes sense. When they did the exact same thing to turn Zod into Doomsday, it felt a little
0: weird. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it's, it's actual, um... helicopter on the moon Lacey warfield in space there's stuff that can make you genuinely guffaw in that movie yeah but anyway
1: okay so i think just because there we like we've covered a lot of the critical analysis of the context and the time and place for this movie so i think chapters three and four or three four and then our five six show are probably going to be a little bit more zippy as far as getting through the material like there's only so many times we can reiterate you know (laughs) it's not as bad as the theatrical cut here's what i liked um we're definitely going to do it but i think we should cap off our episodes with a 20 minute breakdown of a
0: uh arrowverse show (laughs) that sounds reasonable which one what do we
1: do next i'm i'm going to pick a couple of episodes i think i'm going to expose and it'll it'll make no sense to you so you're going to want to watch some or go and read some uh, television without pity but i'm going to ask ben which season finale of legends of tomorrow it was where they fought a giant possessed stuffed toy as the big bad um (laughs) a, a demon possessed like 60 foot tall Bebo. um and they do it by doing the Wonder Twins activate thing and combining all of their powers, which is glorious. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think, or no, they turn into a Bebo to fight a giant demon. Um, so it's, it's more like the Voltron thing. Uh, I think <laughs> I think we'll start there just to, to sort of end cap. And I'm going to expose you to some of the weirder and wackier stuff that's been happening in DC TV
0: post Smallville. That sounds good. That sounds like a welcome break because, yeah, we should just jump through the plot and if I start getting uh, far afield, stop me before I kill again. So,
1: For sure. Done deal. Alright, so until next time. Alright, I'll catch you soon, Julian. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. I'm Julian Finn. This has been Neil Bailey.
0: That's yeah. correct. Goodbye. I'm Neil. See you later. There, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com neilbailey and tell them Neil sent ya. Thanks for listening.